0: Simmons, are you there, and are you ready to tell the damn
1: story? I'm sorry. Hold on, Chris. i got to put the wolf away. Hold on. Get in there. Get in
0: there. Okay,
1: okay. was a full moon, so, yeah. What's up, Alex? How we doing? I'm fine, Chris. I'm feeling silly and happy and thrilled and, and, and energized because you think that was wild. We got a wild man on today. He's joined episode the. Tell the five, big guest. yes, nobody. Yeah, that's right. This is episode one zero five. You know, we're just moving along. But we have a wild man here today, I and mean, I keep calling him that because uh, um, Chris has already told him what an inspiration uh, he was for Chris. For me, uh, there's a quick story that I'll tell later once we get going, once we bring him on. But ever since that moment, some twenty some odd years ago this guy has always been yeah that's a wild man just check him you yeah, know just get out of his way okay
2: so that wild man is David Walker David welcome to the show how you doing good to, good to be on man good to be on
0: thanks for coming on Dave we appreciate it
2: <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is. I, um, I, I'm worried. I, I'm worried I won't live up to my wild man status, but I'll do my best.
1: Don't worry about that, David, because I've got plenty of stories to tell in case you fall short. <laughs> I can make stuff up. Don't worry about it. Uh-huh. No, uh, no, no. The reality was just. And I'll do this very quickly because I felt we were dealing with some interesting technology things here, and we want to make sure we get full David, you know, in and talking before anything bizarre happens. But anyway, I met David years ago, like over 20 years ago. And it was when uh, he and I and a group of other uh, um, indies were trying to do a comic book project. Uh, we were trying to you know, get it together. And there's a lot of personalities we were banging against one another. Uh, things about quality, blah, 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 blah. And it just, it just went on for, for weeks and months. And David just said, later. And I'm sure he used a stronger word because David <laughs> you know, is like that. And he basically said, let me show you fools how it's done. But he didn't say that. He just did it. The next thing we know, bam, he had this anthology out. He was ready for a big con that was coming up, big convention. And he just said, look, bam, there it is. I'm out here. Let's go. And, you know, some folks went, dang. And which is, you know, one of, I was one of those folks that went, dang. You know, because, you know we, we sometimes get, we trip over our own feet. You know, we get in our way. And it's it's good to have somebody say no, that's not how it's done, and watch them do it. So since that time, some 20 plus years ago, David, you've done a lot of other stuff, and we're going to get to that. But I think for the people that don't know anything about you, uh, how did how did you get started in the comic book industry and in the
2: writing industry? How did, how did that happen? Yes, David, tell us. Well, you know, I think it's my capacity to um, not know any better and not learn from past mistakes and just be I'm a little fool-headed and a lot stubborn. Um, I, I, I always wanted to do comics since as far back as, as you know, first grade or so. I, I loved comics and um, went to art school and tried to be an artist and failed miserably at that. And um, as I was failing at at being an artist, I I was starting to grow as a writer. And 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 so that just one thing led to another, actually. And I was one of those people who rejection, while it was difficult, didn't allow it to get in my way. I, I couldn't find anybody interested in publishing the things that I was writing. This was back in the 90s, and and back then it seemed like everybody had their own little Publication, their own little zine, their own little you know um, small press thing. It was just the beginning of the the computer era, so you could get really affordable desktop publishing software, and I just started publishing on my own and and uh, you know writing long form articles and film reviews and and dabbling in comics and really just not knowing any better and and then now here we are twenty something years later and I still don't necessarily know any better
1: (laughs) but you're better at knowing or at least hiding it right
2: yes yes it's all about faking it it's all about how how strong is your your poker face
1: (laughs) um actually very uh, strong bit of wisdom there (laughs) Mm. Uh, i'm curious david you know you were saying you enjoyed comics and things like that as as we all do chris has talked many times about some of the characters and things that uh, inspired him or that he loved as a, as a young man just reading comics, let alone that he knew he was going to grow up and be a writer and, and a master of words and all that. But I'm just curious, um, did any one particular writer or artist in, or character even inspire you in those younger days?
2: There's there's a quite a few. I was, you know, I was really, the two characters I loved the most in terms of mainstream comic book superheroes as a kid they were um it was super or not superman excuse me spider-man and batman were my two favorites as a kid growing up <laughs> um but i was also you know i was a big fan of like peanuts by charles schultz and and um pretty much anything that was in the 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 daily funnies uh, you know this is people forget we, we don't have as many daily newspapers as we used to, but in the 70s growing up, you know, um, that was one of the things I looked forward to was was at my grandparents' house. They had a subscription to the, the daily newspaper, and I'd get that, and I would, you know, I'd read Peanuts, and I'd read Beetle Bailey, and I'd read Hagar the Horrible, and and all those sort of strips, and—, and like, I was just fascinated with that. And and, and here, you know, this was, these were comics that were essentially free. And and I just studied that stuff. I was endlessly fascinated with the drawings and the writing. And and so I was a student of of both comic books and comic strips from a very early age.
0: I would would just read, usually there were two full pages. I would read every single one of them, from the Family Circus to Brenda Starr to the uh spider-man had his strip for a while i think maybe corning the barbarian had his strip for a while but it didn't make a yeah. difference to me whatever was on those pages <laughs> i was devouring you know uh motley crew all those guys
2: yeah well i, <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, I forgot about yeah. motley crew right uh, yeah, That Been some fun stuff shoe yeah. there was the one called shoe right um
1: oh the, the old lady with the cucumber nose yeah
2: There's, there are so many of them. I I mean, I even, but like Chris said, I I read almost all of them and I was just endlessly fascinated with, especially now, as I look back, what what was really fascinating to me was that ability to tell a story in such a limited amount of space.
0: Yeah. The economy was
2: amazing. Yeah. The economy of storytelling there. And so, I'm, I'm, I still study this stuff. I buy collections all the time of, of different strips. I've got collections of, you know, the Spider-Man strip that, that, that Chris just mentioned. I've got, um, Calvin and Hobbes. I've got the Peanuts. I've got, I've got collections of all kinds of stuff that I think people are really surprised. And Buster? What's that? I said, do you have any Friday Foster? Do you remember that? I, I, I don't have any Friday Foster. I am waiting for somebody to put out a collection of that because that's the one that has eluded me.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It just, she just popped up in a, in a Dick Tracy storyline that in you know, okay. the current Tracy is being done. She, he, in, uh, he had a crossover, to use the comic book terminology, he had a crossover adventure that involved Friday Foster.
2: Wow, I'm going to have to find this. Then I did not. I did not know.
0: You mentioned Calvin and Hobbes, and I was always amazed when I was a kid reading them. They were funny, but when I went back to revisit them when they put that big box set out, how philosophical! Yeah, you know there was so much more to it than we when we first got. You know, uh, but then that's really the secret about almost all the comics, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know, everyone's like, oh, Marvel, DC are just punching it. That's not what kept us coming back. You know, it was the <laughs> it was the other stuff in between the character moments. You know, uh, uh, how the story unfolded. You know, how they would have that little mini cliffhanger at the bottom of the right-hand page to make you turn the page, and you know, all that stuff was storytelling. And it was, yeah. you know, we're students of
2: that. I'm uh, I'm a, I'm pretty sure you'd agree. Yeah, Yeah, I recently went back and uh, about two years ago, they put out a big collection of a funky winker bean. Oh, wow. (laughs) And and I that was honestly one of the strips I had never read when I was a kid. It didn't had it for whatever reason. It didn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But they you know, there was this there's several characters that recurred for decades. And one of the running storylines was that one of the characters got cancer Uh, she, she was treated, went into remission, then it came back and then she died. And then her husband got remarried. And this, this storyline went on for something like 20 years. And about two years ago, they, they reprinted that entire storyline. And I was just engrossed with it. It was, I've, it's been a long time since I was that sucked into, um, to a storyline because a lot of times in, 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 the daily strips, the characters don't get old they right. don't, no one dies. You know, the, the kids stay kids forever. It's sort of like the Simpsons. You know, Maggie Simpson is, in real life, she's, like, probably close to 40 years old, but she's still a toddler, so, or right. still a baby. This condition. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny, you mentioned that. I was just going to say that, fam- I think, was it was it fam not Family Circus, it was, um, oh, there's another strip. Really well done, Um that the family did grow. I mean, they eventually did that with Gasoline Alley too, but there was another strip where the family did age and the children grew up and got married and all of those things. And I, I, my, my my brain is stuck on the wrong title, so I won't say it yet, but it'll come to me later. Uh, I, I wanted to just, if you don't mind, guys, I just wanted to get a little bit, because it's great that you're talking about some of the things that you were fascinated by or enjoyed or inspired or whatever in those earlier days and, and you followed through. Because when you when you talk, you know, Calvin and Hobbes and some of the other things, what you're known for, or how people perceive you, you know, in your present-day incarnation as a comic book writer is far from those, <laughs> those gentler pieces of of you know illustrated amusement and entertainment. Yeah. Um, at what point did you start to to explore or utilize or find the voice that you chose to work with over the past you know years that I've made past 20 years when did when did when did that start to happen for you if if consciously at all
2: it's a good question I'm not exactly sure when it happened it was sort of gradual I mean the 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 sort of angrier, edgier side of me, that's been around for a long time. I was, I was a kid that was forced to go into an anger management program really early on. So, um, so some of that was there too. But I think that um, the voice that I have now, as, as it started to develop was, was, was fairly early on, even, you know, maybe we'll say like high school, because that's when I, I started getting really serious about writing stories. I, I wrote my first, uh, graphic novel that is yet to be actually drawn in high school, which is, you know, 35 years ago or so. And, and I recently found a, a copy of that script and there was, there's, there were some okay moments. It wasn't a great thing. I wouldn't want to put it out now, but like I could see okay. hints of who, of who I was, who I have become. There's, um. You know, there was there was a level of of uh, dark humor there. There was a level of violence, and 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 me trying to be introspective um, as best I could be at say sixteen or seventeen years old. You know, I, I, I there's there's also I see tremendous immaturity in my writing. I see a lack of discipline in my writing. But but there are certain things there that I was and it was really interesting because. The, the adult in me was looking at it going oh okay like yeah I can see where this was beginning um I, I and and the, there's this theme in a lot of stuff that I wrote as a kid when I uh, when I say kid anywhere from my teenage years into my early 20s um, certain themes of alienation that that mm-hmm. still seep into what I'm doing and and I realized that like alienation is probably one of the most constant feelings I've had as far back as I can remember sort of feeling like the outsider looking in, you know?
0: Well, you know, they say that we've each writer kind of writes one story. Yes. Oh yeah. Over and over again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was Mm -hmm. always the underdog. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I felt so, you know, I had a lot of allergies and a lot of, uh, illnesses. I always felt so vulnerable that I always want someone who is not the alpha, who is not the uh, Superman. You know, uh, give me a Hawkeye, give me a Batman, who has to, you know, a force of will, you know, and overcome his own obstacles to succeed. That's, to me, a more interesting story, and I see that in. In most of the stuff that I
2: do, just like you see the um,
0: isolationism,
2: right? Yeah. And, and yeah, when the underdog is, is always that the misunderstood character is is yes. so fascinating to me. I, I I was a really weird kid. And um, <laughs> my mom, my mom took me to the movies a lot. And oftentimes there were movies that were inappropriate for my age. And so I was about six or seven, I saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for the first time.
0: Wow, that'll affect you.
2: Yep, and and that, you know, like you're talking about the underdog, the outsider, the person that doesn't fit in. That's all that movie's about. And and even at that early age, that that resonated with me. And I still always come back to that particular story that particular movie time and time again that the feeling that i had of um, it, like other kids had a sense of wonder watching jaws or star wars right <laughs> which i had that too but there was a greater sense of wonder watching one flew over the cuckoo's nest that sort of the, that's what i've been chasing probably creatively my my entire life
0: that's a pretty good goal Uh, in every form of that the movie the play the novel
2: uh
1: it's fascinating work of art
2: it is it's amazing
1: i'm just so i was just going to say sorry guys i'm just going to add in that i find it interesting that you at at that young age were so fascinated with something that was really more about the human beings and the inner mind and inner working as opposed to exterior power or or even greater threats i mean that, that's a heady piece, and yeah. and I know Chris has talked about certain early experiences in his life or in his literature and so forth that had an impact on him as a child, and I know for me, I was just talking to one of my students a little while ago, uh, Rashomon. I watched that film when I was 11 or 12, and there was not a friend in any of my groups, either the ones I hung out with on the street or in school, that would have watched that movie. But for some reason,
2: I was fascinated with that film. I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it crazy? I I mean, I was um, I, you know, I grew up right outside New York. So we had all the New York TV stations, five and nine and 11. And I grew up watching all these old movies. I was, you know, I think I might have been the only kid in third or fourth grade who was obsessed with Humphrey Bogart you know, <laughs> who actually had a favorite Humphrey Bogart movie. I love and, it. And, and I would, I would, you know, we'd get the TV guide when, you know, I lament the passing of TV guide because That was my favorite publication as a kid. We'd get it every week and I would study it and I would figure out what I was going to watch on the weekends. And, you know, if there was a late movie, I would, I would sometimes take a nap so I could stay up really late. And, and this went on for a long time. I was, there was a, um, I remember reading about this movie for years—an uh, old John Frankenheimer movie called Seconds, with uh, starring Rock Hudson—and I'd read about it in a couple different magazines and some film books. And then sometime while I was in high school, I remember reading in the TV guide that Seconds was going to be on. It was like two o'clock in the morning, and and I took a nap just so I could stay up and watch that movie. And so I was, you know, I was an odd kid and i grew up to be an odd human being and 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 you know i just let my freak flag fly as much as possible
1: i I think we can all put that emblem on our chest all of us on this call because you know you had that um chris i don't know what you did but i'm gonna ask you in a moment but i know i absolutely had the late show and the late late show yeah uh, so i was up you know with my head peeking out from under the cover because my mom and I only had one room. And literally, if she was watching something, especially if she fell asleep while it was on, I was right there watching, you know, Bogart, Cagney, uh, and a bunch of films with with B or C list actors from different countries. To me, it was just all a whole nother world. And then of course you get up and go to school and you drag it, (laughs) but (laughs) your nights were filled. What were you doing at that point in your life? Oh, me? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a couple
0: of things that um, bridged my father's childhood and mine. And it was in the 70s, there was a radio station in the New York area that um, around the 7 o'clock hour would broadcast old radio shows. And these were all some of his favorite shows, and we would listen together. So I listened to The Shadow and Gangbusters and Fibber McGee and Molly and all that so None of my friends would What's wrong with you? But all that. And then, you know, I would go to Corvettes, CJ Corvette's. And, um, (laughs) you know, there was the corner upstairs was the record section and the outside wall was the paperbacks. And that's where you could get the bantam reprints of the shadow and Doc Savage. So I would read them and then my father would steal them and read them. You know, he hadn't seen them from the, you know, since he was a kid, um, so then since he took mine, I started taking his books. So I was reading like 44, you know, the book about the, um, uh, David Brez, uh, um, David Berkowitz or Hitman, which was this really dark and seedy book about the mafia that I was way too young to be reading. But, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, and, and and anything I could get my hands on, you know, Horse 10 from Navarone and all this stuff. I would just just absolutely consume it because most of the time, especially in the spring, that was the one thing I could do. You know, I went outside, the planet tried to kill me. But, you know, as long as I was inside, the pollen couldn't get me. I could exist in these books. And that's, you know,
2: that's kind of what warped me.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, Bantam, I have a bunch of those still. Oh,
0: those were great, you know. And I bought them, you know, for the uh, Sturanko covers, and I forget who Boris used to do the... Um,
2: uh, Boris and James Bama were the... Yeah. And Bob, Larkin, Bob Larkin did a bunch of those old... Uh, Sorry, Travis,
0: yeah. The yeah. covers would grab me, and I brought them home, you know, read them on the way home, and all that sort of stuff. And then my father saw them and told me, these are reprints from what I read as a kid. And, you know, it was another connection. and And... That was fun. And then once, once he started borrowing my Doc Savage and Shadows, I figured I had license to borrow whatever he was reading. And that's when I got into really inappropriate stuff for a young teenager, you know, mafia <laughs> books and, you know, some of the safer stuff was like Force 10 from Navarone. But he had tons of cop books. So I really learned a lot about what New York was like, you know, from a cop's perspective, from a mafioso's perspective um i i remember i would all i would take my older brothers by a, a, a four i'm the fourth out of five children so my older brother was significantly older and i would raid his shelf and he had like lord of the rings and stuff but he also had like black like me and uh i wow. was t- 10 or 11 when i read that read that book and uh it struck me as odd because you know my brother read it in the mid '60s, and I was in the mid '70s when I was reading, and the world was already changing. It was a, you know, a strange experience for me to oh, what's this guy doing? But you know, it is what it is. You read everything you can. Well, if you're a reader, you read everything you can. And, uh, yeah. So that's that's
1: how I got twisted. Yeah. Let's let's actually segue into the, into that realm again because we were we were talking uh, we were. Exploring. Let me put it that way. We're exploring David's morphing. You know, your metamorphosis. Uh, I'm very from... interested in David's metamorphosis. Yes. <laughs> so, so David, here, you know, you you um, you were reading some of the, you know, some of the, the the gentler stuff. You you started to explore some of the other sides of your your being and yourself as a writer. And obviously, we all agree. We all love comics. So you had your love of comics, and you were starting to move. In that creative realm, what brought you? I mean, did you immediately go to wanting to try to write comics, or was there some some other explorations before that?
2: Uh, there was there was a ton of explorations, uh, both during, after, and and currently. Um, <clears throat> I had really wanted to draw comics as much as I wanted to write them, and so as as it became clear that I wasn't going to be able to draw them for a living um, which, you know, now in hindsight was really, no, you just gave up. You didn't try hard enough. But, um, uh, uh, okay. as, as I, as, as that real as that became increasingly my reality, and as I started writing more, um, suddenly there was more opportunities open to me in terms of, of what I chose to write. So you would, uh, you know, I would write stuff like, um, you know, I, I started writing screenplays, and I started dabbling in stand-up comedy. I started um, writing short stories and started writing long-form film reviews and other pop culture reviews. So I, I began to sharpen those skills, and and in that regard, I felt like I was, you know, I had a lot of dancing partners. I, I hadn't mm. settled with any one person, um, you know, I, or you could say I, I was playing the field, and. And then, really, what happened was as i as I started you know as I, as I moved into my thirties, um it, comics were an itch that I never had managed to scratch and and but it was probably my single oldest itch that I'd had, and you know, even in my early thirties, I kind of had this thought of like, oh, it's too late, you know i i I didn't break in when I had a chance, I gave up, it was filled with a lot of these regrets. And then I, I had a, a chance meeting. Um, I was working as a journalist at the time and I, I interviewed somebody and that somebody was Will Eisner. And one oh, wow. um, of the I cool was inter- comics. Yeah. And I was interviewing him for a newspaper that I worked for at the time. And he didn't know that I had this this love and this appreciation for comics. He just thought I was just some random, you know, journalist. And and after the interview, you know, he said, "Wow, that was that was a really good interview." He said, "You know, you know more about comics than most um, most journalists do." And I, I said, "Well, you know, I, I wanted to do comics," and and he said, "Well, you know, why don't you still do it?" And and I foolishly said to him, "I said, yeah, you know, I'm I'm too old for a career switch," and and I was I had to have been like 32, 33 at the time, and he was in his eighties, you know. And he just kind of looked at me and, and he said, really, you're too old. And, <laughs> and, um, and I was like, okay, okay. You, you got me there, Mr. Eisner. And, and he said, you know, if this is something you want to do, you should do it. And this this really stuck with me, you know. And, and at the time I was, I was still doing my zine on the side, Badass Mofo. And I was doing little, yeah. little tiny comic things here and there. Um, but it was it was the way he put it. And I realized, OK, if if I'm feeling this way now in my early 30s, how am I going to feel when I get into my 50s if I haven't at least tried? Because what I had to do was I had to be really honest with myself was like I hadn't tried that hard. I I you know, that's what most most people will, you know their 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 definition of, of trying something of attempting to do something is usually pretty weak at best and and what happens is is it doesn't work out or you get a single rejection and you just give up and and for me i had i found a way around rejection in a lot of ways in terms of well i you know i just started my own publication you know i started doing things on my own Comments was, was the one thing I couldn't completely do on my own. But I realized, well, you know, if this really means this much to you, you've you got to try because you, you don't want to get to that age. And we've all known those people, right? And, and a lot of times they're in our own families, those people who just give up. And, and I just yep. didn't want to be that person. So so that's where I, you know, that's sort of where I went. And and you know things, it, and and the crazy thing is, is I made the decision to do this. We'll say, for the sake of argument, I was about thirty-two at the time. Um, by the time it really took off for me, and it became clear that oh, I'm going to make some money doing this. I might not make a, a living or a great living, but I, I can I can make this happen. By the time that happened, I, it was ten years later. I was it was I was forty-two. You know, so it was. Um, and at that point, I'd put in so much time and energy. I was like, OK, well, I'm just I'm just going to keep going here. You know, I can't I can't give up. And that's where I am now. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, you're there now, but you're also there with a lot of other people that you've influenced or affected with your storytelling. So it's it's not quite a lone a one man parade,
2: you know. No, not <laughs> it's, at all. Not at yeah,
1: all. Exactly. Um, Chris, you, you had some some because 'cause I've got a bunch of things, but I, I want to hear more from Chris as well. You had some things you wanted to to bring up.
0: Well, I mean before the show I had uh thank David because uh and you mentioned badass mofo so we can talk about it. Uh Badass Mofo magazine was the um the debut of me writing the blackjack character. Uh whatever generous reason Alex said give it a shot and it was uh, a 12 part strip if I
1: remember yeah comic yeah. strip we were talking about earlier Comic yeah. so.
0: and uh, yeah that was my first credit with blackjack published in badass mofo and I will yeah. tell you that that is on my resume because I get to say that's right badass mofo <laughs> magazine <majesty." laughs> oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah I'm sorry go ahead well, what I'd like to do—I mean, besides having fun with uh, thanking you for that and being able to mention that one of the greatest names for a magazine ever—let's—is um, <laughs> it—is it, okay, it too early to start talking about um, uh, technique and um, writing habits and no, how you develop this from, you know, from artist to writer, and what does? Being a writer, mean, I mean, are we talking about hitting it every day? What are we talking about?
2: Well, there's 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 theory and then there's practice. Um, Let's (laughs) let's
0: talk about practice because everybody (laughs) knows how to talk about theory.
2: (laughs) I um, when I'm at my best and when I've been at my best, I write every day. Mm -hmm. And I I worked at a newspaper for um, for close to a decade. And I was a freelance journalist for even longer than that before I started working in the newspaper, and then afterwards. So I, I had. Can you tell a, us
0: what mag- What newspaper that was?
2: Uh, it was a newspaper called Willamette Week, which is here in Portland, where I live, and it's the alt weekly. I was a, a staff editor and writer there, and uh, and then I also was a um a freelance writer for MSN for quite some time, and and then a bunch of ridiculous websites that aren't around anymore that like back in the early aughts, late nineties, early aughts, when they paid ridiculous huh. amounts that, of money. That, um, uh,
0: that daily deadline though, or that week, you know, that's, that's good training.
2: Yeah. And, and you know what? I've lost all those skills. So, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I don't much to my, um, my own disappointment in myself. I, I don't always write every day. I've been, um, you know, and I, I talk about this a, a fair amount on social media and, and open publicly. Um, the last several years, I've, I've been dealing with uh, significant depression, which really um, hinders my, whether it's my creativity or my motivation. I, sometimes I'm not sure which it is. Um, so to give you an example, this week, Uh, today's, you know, today's Thursday, I've, I've gotten in two solid days of writing this week and when I really needed to get in three or four at this point. And, um, and so I try to find other things to keep me busy. There's, um, I'm, I'm getting ready to launch a Kickstarter campaign. So I'm working on that. And then New York comic con is coming up. So I'm prepping for that, getting some promotional material together for that. So I'm I, I do find stuff to do. But in terms of the, the hardcore thing that, that really ultimately that I know nourishes my soul, um, I have uh, I have not treated that as well as I should. And and then that becomes sort of a, a catch 22. It's, it's like a snake eating its own tail. You're depressed so you don't work, but then you become depressed because you're not creating. And then you become frustrated because, you know, your skills are off and, and it just, um, and, and so I've been trying to, to work through it, but, you know, I've, there's been times where I, you know, would say, okay, you know, I, I tend to set goals, you know, maybe it'll be, okay, you know, Two thousand words a day, or I'm going to get three script pages written a day, or five script pages written a day, and and when I'm on top of my game, I hit all of those goals, um, I surpass them, but the key is is when I'm on top of my game, <laughs> and that's not us, that's not as often as I'd like it to be these days. Right.
1: Oh, I hear you. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well,
0: you know, we're now we're at the main event where we're going to talk about the depression and all that stuff. Um, the depression is one end of it. Those highly productive days are the other end of it, but really the expectation should come what you do when you're kind of midway between those two extremes, you yeah. know, it might not be 2000 uh, words a day, you know, it might be 500, it might be a thousand, but you know, that's part of the trick, isn't it? Is to figure out what the, the norm is and and uh, go for that. It's... Depression can be or is a horrible uh, uh, torture and yeah. that it is unreasonable in its expectations and it hits you with a... Uh, when you're at your lowest, you know, kick a guy when he's down, that's what depression does, right? So how do you deal
2: when... When, when you're in the depths? You know, that's a that's such a great question. And <laughs> there's some days where I just don't deal at all. Uh, I, I hate to say that. Um, then there's other days where I, um, now if I'm on deadline for, say, a publisher, I, I had a, I was late. Uh, I was two months late for a big project that I'm working on. But I was, I put in every day and I let my editors know, okay, you're going to get it. And I just pushed through and, and the, now the end result was that other aspects of my life suffered. Um, I, I, I feel like, okay, I can push through and, and get this stuff done, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get, I might not shower, you know, for a couple of days. I'm, I'm not going to be social for a couple of days or a week or, or however long. And, and to me, that's not, it's all about finding a better balance. Um, but the the for better or worse, when when it's work, when it's when there's an editor and there's a publisher and I'm getting paid and and this is this is my job, then I do it. I do find a way to get through. But it isn't always easy, you know. And I think that what a lot of people don't get is that um, is that you know you you set a goal and you say I want to be a professional writer or I want to work in comics, and then you get there. And there's there's a, a different sort of pressure. I'm not going to say it's harder or easier than when you're struggling to make it. It's just a different sort of pressure. And it's it's one thing when you're not making enough money to cover your rent as a writer, okay? Mm-hmm. And you've got that you've got that side hustle. Maybe you're working in a warehouse or you're working right. at McDonald's or whatever, right? Right, right? But then suddenly you get that job and you're making enough money that you can pay rent and and maybe have a couple extra bucks in your pocket and you're there for a year or two or maybe if you're lucky 10 and then suddenly that goes away and and then it's like oh wait a sec now I gotta I gotta maintain this right um and and that in and of itself is a a, a different dynamic it's a different beast in and of itself and and until you experience it no one can fully explain it to you until you've experienced it yourself you know and and I, I talk to people all the time, young, especially young up-and-coming writers that are struggling, and you know they want to work at a Marvel or a DC or a company like that. And uh, and and I get it. I get wanting that. I get that itch that you got to scratch. I did it, and it's and and part of it's great, and then part of it's like kind of a nightmare. You know, it's like you're you're working steadily at Marvel for two or three years, and then suddenly you're not working there anymore. And so, not only is the pay gone away, not only is this creative outlet gone away, but suddenly people are asking, "Hey, how come you're not at Marvel anymore? What's going on?" And and people on the internet are speculating and pointing fingers. And oh, crazy, yeah. yeah, yeah. So
1: can okay. I can I I just want to throw uh, this slight different POV in here, um, totally recognizing and honoring everything that you said, David, and not taking anything away from it. Yeah, uh, just to think of the audience. I just want to throw out there the fact that as this man speaks of these challenges and these really hard and 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 sometimes deeply painful moments, this is a gentleman who has written Shaft, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, uh, Cyborg, a number of independent projects, and and has a, a, a series now that's out there. Uh, gaining a lot of uh, interest in the, and attention called uh, bitter roots and I, I mention these things not so much as to play press agent here but to say <laughs> that as you push as you push yourself to to deal with these these actual forces that are, are trying to shove you down, you have maintained a certain level of quality and you've put out a certain volume of work, Unlike certain people that that we've all met, who forget to turn things in, or yeah, yeah, they went and they hung out for like three nights partying, and so they're a little behind, (laughs) and they're you know, or you know, the, the 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 person who did issue one of their new independent book four years ago and is still working on issue two. I mean, there's there's a difference there, to being in charge of your life and taking responsibility for your life, no matter what the dragons are that you're fighting. And I think, you know, I just wanted to, like I said, I just want to bring my perception of some of what you're talking about to this, to give the audience just another POV of it.
2: Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because it's, it's a lot like, um, I, I, I love Westerns, you know, and, mm. and, you watch the old westerns that there's, there's that gunslinger who is you know he just wants to hang up his guns or or he just wants to live in peace and there's always that young gunslinger that's trying to challenge him right and yeah. and that's and it's and it's kind of like that in in the creative world too you know you're you're just trying to find some peace you're trying to get your hit your word counts and meet your deadlines and and pay the bills and and there's that young gunslinger who's who's who's, who's out for your job and um you know, it's it's, it, it, it's it's funny, but it ain't funny. It's like um, <laughs> you, 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 you sometimes begin to realize like, oh, OK, yeah, I on one hand, I'm one of the luckiest people in the world. And then on the other hand, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with, you know, the depression. I'm struggling with paying the bills. I'm struggling with with whatever it is. And and life doesn't stop just because your career's hit a hiccup or or doesn't you know and your career doesn't care your editor doesn't care if you're depressed you know if 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 it's like the work's got to get done and and that's why you know I I try to be I try to push through no matter what and I'm not in comics I see this a lot where you know, because there's man, there's so many people with depression and anxiety and all sorts of hangups in this industry. and And I've watched other creators not own it and mm. and then it bite them in the butt. And so I have a tendency to be really straightforward with, especially with my editors, if if I'm in a rough spot, if i if I sense that I'm gonna miss a deadline, um, if the deadline is on Friday and and I know I'm gonna be late, you know, and, I, and you know a week or so beforehand, you let them know, hey, I'm working to meet this deadline, but just so you know, um, there's some stuff going on. And I don't necessarily have to say, oh, yeah, this is, I, I couldn't get out of bed for two days or, or something like that. But it's it's about being really straightforward and honest because at the end of the day, that's all you've got.
1: Mm. Oh.
2: So,
0: one of the things that uh, I, wa- I want to recognize and see what can amplify is that, well, first there will be a number of people uh, who battle with depression listening. So thank you for uh, sharing and for being forthright, you know, and hopefully they can get some sustenance from this and, and, and um, some ways to cope and all that sort of stuff. When you are uh, for feeling the depression coming on and you speak with the editor or whoever you need to, to, to kind of let it know, you know, I, I just want to recognize that, yes, you have that long list of accomplishments, but one of the things that I've heard from those who suffer from depression and, you know, and, and I think, you know, to a lesser degree, other people, creative people, such as Alex and I, when we're not at our peak, Everything that we've done before, it doesn't matter, right? It's always oh, that, yeah. <laughs> right? It's yeah. that moment. It's you. It's it's just you and the depression. Yep. And to be aware enough to say, "Listen, let me call this this uh, editor and say this," you know, uh, especially when, as you described, two days not being able to get out of bed. I mean that takes enormous strength that that is not necessarily um, noted in, uh, in in these kind of battles, you know. And I'd like to I'd like to see if we can get you to talk about that. I mean, how do you get out of that bed after two days of not being able to move? What, how do you get to that that resource of strength where
2: you it felt? unreachable you know yeah you know that's a good question i i joke about this but it's it's true i have a very uncomfortable bed (laughs) and uh (laughs) uh, to, to the extent that i know i need a new bed and i don't i haven't gotten one simply because i can only lay in it so long And, and I know that that sounds nuts, but it's like, it
0: sounds so (laughs) like cold blooded logic.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have as, as bad as it's gotten for me and and it has gotten bad. Um, there, there are some people in my life, not only who are supportive, but who are dependent on upon me in one capacity or another, and so that helps. That helps mm-hmm. me to, to get out of bed and and do some of the things that I need to do. Um, and it isn't always easy, you know, but um, I, I have never, I, I get it. I, I used to not get it. I used to not get um, the people who couldn't face the day, who couldn't get up, who couldn't do these things. I was just like, really? No, come on. How bad could it be? Now I understand it. Um, and, and I guess I've just been fortunate enough in that it it hasn't, even though there's days where I didn't think I could get out of bed, I was able to get out of bed mm-hmm. and And that's um, that's sort of crucial for me, you know I, I, I wish I wish it wasn't always like this. you know, I wish there was days where I could um, where I just felt better and and there's days there's some days where and I'm working on it. That's the important thing too is that I'm working on it. I I'm I just had lunch with a friend recently who I have not seen in a very long time and you know was sort of disappointed that we hadn't seen each other in so long and then we got together and it was like nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. It's like you're still being the same Putts that you've always been you know you're still <laughs> complaining about the same sort of things you know and I and I said to him I said you know are you still seeing your therapist and and he actually had the audacity to say oh you know I, I don't think I need to see my therapist anymore I think I'm doing better and I was like I was like wow you were you were delusional man you know so um there's I, I guess I, as far gone as I've gotten or as as far as I've fallen down my my own well of, of self-pity from time to time, I haven't gotten that bad yeah. and 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 it's not to say that I'm better than anyone or, or anything like that it, it's I guess I'm just fortunate you know um, I, I I go see my therapist and I never and especially if I'm feeling good I think to, I don't I never think. Oh, maybe I don't need to see my therapist right now. You know, I, I, I'm just not that guy. It's like, Oh no, this is the time to, to now that I'm feeling a little better, let's try to reinforce that. And, and yeah, so.
0: So you, you hit two different things that are, are, are key to getting through to the other side. One, you know, therapy, sure, you know, go and talk to someone, reach. And you also talked about, you know, uh, you have people that depend on you or connect you back to the world. And then even this old friend, as much as he might have been goofy or putz or, or, or you know, not as clear eyed as you, it's it's connections to the world. Keep connections. Talk to somebody. Do yeah. you agree that that's
2: uh, key to um, getting through? It is. It is. And and there shouldn't be. I there's you know, I don't want to get together and have coffee with a friend and, and just talk about my depression or talk about their depression. If it comes up, we do it. That's fine. But, um, but it's
0: about reengaging.
2: Yeah. It's, it's about just being, being social. And especially if you, you know, in this line of work where you know my office is in my home and, and I can literally go days without really interacting with too many other human beings, yes. it's about forcing myself to get out there. And, and I'm fortunate that, you know, I live in Portland. There's a ton of comic creators here. There's some some amazing comic creators. I'm friends with a lot of them. And and they'll call and they'll check up on me and I check up on them. And just yesterday, you know, one of them um, was like, you know, hey, let's get together. Let's go have lunch. And I was like, yeah, okay. I, I, I really try when someone says, let's go have lunch or let's go have coffee. If I don't want to, that's when I, I, I force myself to do it the most. Because otherwise I'm just going to, slide deeper into my pit that's a good bit of advice
1: uh, I'm curious David do you feel that um your work and and some of these again life challenges that you face do you feel that one is intertwined with the other uh, has influenced the other in some way
2: yeah I do I think that um it's a very odd dynamic, but I, I I do know that when I'm really being creative and and sort of hitting my stride, as it were, um, that that really you know they like people say, oh, if you're depressed, you should get out and exercise. It's like yeah 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 okay whatever. Um, that <laughs> sometimes that works, but there's I, I'll tell you nothing works better than um, for me than just really being creative, you know, finding, finding a yeah. good creative groove. Um, that doesn't mean I always do it. That doesn't mean I always do it because sometimes we don't do what's best for ourselves. True. Um, but I I've also taken to developing little side projects and, Did you, and even could you elaborate on that. Uh, so about a little over a year ago, I, I started a web comic and that web comic was started um, in part, because I teach part time, I teach a writing for comics course, and one of the components is a webcomic. And I realized while well, I was asking my students to do this, I should do it, too. Mm. And and then um, I did it for several months and it was really fun. I had a really good time. And then I, I took a break for whatever reason and kept saying, I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to get back to it and get back to it. And then after a year, I realized, OK, if you're if you're really going to get back to it, you're, you need to get back to it. And so um, when I had been doing it before, back in 2018, I was doing it very week to week. And part of the reason I stopped was because it, it always became a mad crunch. And so I decided, well, let, let's really plan this thing out. Let's write like maybe four months worth of strips and put those strips together and then, and have this back catalog. Um, and, and, you know, after you've got four months worth of stuff, you can take a little bit of a break, but once you start posting, it never. Always make sure you've got at least a month or two in the can and ready to go. Um, and and so there's little things like that, and even um, reading has become a thing for me because you know sometimes when I'm when I'm really in the throes of of a depression, I don't do anything. I don't read. I don't watch TV. I just, you know, sit and listen to music or watch. Bigfoot videos on on YouTube, um, but I, I have such a, a stack of books to be read, both you know, fiction, nonfiction, graphic novels, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, brother. And right. and I've started like realizing that oh, part of my growth as a writer is is studying what other people do. So I'm I'm I, I'm no longer treating reading as um as a waste of time. I'm treating it as not only nourishing to my, my mental health, but also nourishing to my creativity. And oh, yeah. so that's sort of crucial, too.
0: you got to refill the well. Yes. And many
1: people have said that. Absolutely,
0: yeah. So we, we've come up with a couple of things, a couple of bits of advice, a couple of bits of life experience that uh, you know those who are struggling can, uh, uh, to take heart, you know, always, you know, stay connected, go out for that cup of coffee, even if you don't want it, you know, feed, feed the muse, right. Feed yourself both, you know, food and, you know, take a walk, exercise, but also read the art, you know, whether it's, whether it's visual or books or music, or you got to intake, you got to nourish it and all that, and that, that helps get you, uh, back out of the abyss and into telling the damn story, which is,
1: you know, always a goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, I would I would love to. I'm greedy. Sorry, this is just what I am. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, I've known you so long, and I know there's so much more that you could share with us. I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to come back on at some point so we could go even further with some of the more of the techniques you use as a writer some of the uh the things that we touched on where you know you began to explore your voice what kind what you wanted to do with certain characters i mean you're dealing with luke cage and iron fist with uh with um cyborg yeah and Bitter roots all of these just how you approach them and the and the stories you told through them i think is is a whole nother episode so i'm just wondering can we can we drag you back here kicking and screaming oh yeah i wouldn't even
2: be kicking and screaming (laughs) 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 that's me being a killjoy right there so. well
0: you know I, I think this, this was a, a fascinating conversation and I think that um, it has to be discussed Yeah. but there's the other part which is you as an artist and I'd love to uh, uh, talk again so we can talk about um, techniques and we can talk about um, the how of creating all these different characters and uh get that too because that's the other end of the equation that is you, right? It's, it's both parts. And uh and you have told the
1: damn story repeatedly. So <laughs> we'll bring you back I, I can't wait to You know, you badass mofo you. Uh right. I just yeah, I, what I'm going to say is, to, uh, and again, Chris, sorry for cutting you off, just want to say to to those of you who, who don't know David's work or don't know enough of his work, you know, we've dropped some titles here. But David, um, other than Shaft and Luke Cage and some of the other books, is there anything that you think people should just, you know, hey, you've met me now on radio. Go out there and pick up a couple of things and read them before you hear from me again. Is there any titles or stories that you'd like them to uh, explore?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, well, obviously there's there's bitter root, which has become my, you know, one of my um, main projects as of late, and and I'm I'm working very hard on that and and trying to um, make the best comic I possibly can with with Chuck and Sanford, um, and then I'm I'm also co-writing another title over at uh, at DC called um, Naomi, which is. Is currently on hiatus, but will be back very soon. And and then my webcomic, Discombobulated, is coming back in the um, in December. And and I've got uh, I'm launching a Kickstarter. I, I as as we're talking, I realize I have a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, probably more than than I need right now. But um, it's it's also it's also good for me because it's it's keeping me out of trouble. And by trouble, I mean out of the depression funk, so. Well, that's that's always good to hear from,
1: you know, as I'm concerned. But, you know, you're, yeah. you're moving forward and, and, you know, whatever little demons little, uh, are, are chomping at your heels, you know, they got to run faster to catch up. That that works for me. Um, so, like I said, I would love to have you back. Chris is obviously of the same oh, yeah. mind. Oh, yeah, you go. So we're gonna definitely make that happen. I'm not even gonna say when because maybe sooner is better than later. I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. So either way, David, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, folks, please, 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 um, your comments, your questions, anything, drop them into the comments box, send us an email, let us know uh, how you feel about, you know, David being so forthcoming with, with, you know, his challenges and all that. All of that, share it with us because that's definitely how we, we what, Chris? Tell the damn story.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Bravo, (laughs) David. (laughs) Bravo. Thank you very much. Okay. Peace.